Well, thank you all so much for having me. Um, like Kevin said, I am on staff with RUF at Clemson, so this is my squad over here. A um, little shout out to the, the RUF people. Um, my wife and I have been here for about two years, and we're super thankful um, for Clemson Press and the way that y'all have supported us and um, just allow us to do ministry here. We're, we're super thankful. And I am going to read the, the scripture a little bit later on. Um, we're going to be looking at the book of Philippians. And to give y'all a little bit of a snapshot of my outline for today, Um, I wanted to give you three kind of thoughts to start out. Number one, suffering is a sign of the glory that is to come. So we're looking forward. Um, Number two, unity with God is the foundation of humility. Um, Number three, sympathy means admitting your need for God's mercy. Um, So we have to make ourselves low in order to to feel God's mercy. Uh, So I wanted to start out today by teaching y'all something new. For those of you who are in high school or college, you probably have a leg up on your parents today. Um, I've been doing ministry in and around high school and college students for around 10 years, and before that, I was in high school. Um, And so during that time, I've learned a thing or two about uh, the way that kids talk and students talk, and I've gotten up on the trends and the lingo of our students. Some words that I like to use and some words that I wish I had never heard before. Um, But the term that I wanted to look at today is the word sus. It's S-U-S, sus. It's sus is described as giving the impression that something is questionable or dishonest. So one might use this word to describe the time Sam and I went to a farmer's market in Charlotte, and they were selling live snapping turtles and kittens. That would be a sus situation. Or maybe your dog or your kid has has walked in the room with their head down, and you can just tell they got into something that they weren't supposed to. One would say that's a, a sus look on their face. But I hope sus is a word that will be helpful for us as we look through this passage today, and in relation to the way that we look at this book, the Bible. Maybe you've always been a little bit skeptical about this book and the the Bible. Um, Maybe you're not sure why, but something just seems different about it or off, um, and you just have some questions. The first thing that I want to say to you is, is that you're in the right place, and I'm so glad that you're here. This is a great place to ask questions and explore your faith and to get to know our Jesus better. And if you are in Christ and you believe that the Bible is the word of God and you're not suspicious at all, I want you to start thinking through this today. What is it that's so sweet about the Bible? What is it that's so true about this book, God's word? Let's keep that in mind as we open our Bibles to Philippians 1, 27 through chapter 2, verse 4. All right, here's God's word. Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. And not frightened in anything by your opponents, this is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation, and that from God. For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake, 
engaged in the same conflict that you saw I had, and now here I still have. So if there's any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Let's pray. Dear Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the goodness that it is in it. And Lord, we thank you for the truths that we're going to hear today. Lord, I just pray that as we dive deeper into your word, that you give us eyes to see and ears to hear um, what you have for this passage and what this passage is doing in each of our hearts. Lord, I just pray that you give us eyes to see that. Lord, I pray all of this in your name. Amen. So that word that I used earlier, SUS, is not only a helpful word, but it's an acronym for my three main points today and that I kind of mentioned earlier. Point one, suffering. Point two is unity. And then number three is going to be sympathy. And you can probably put in humility's humility. Um, so suffering, unity, sympathy. So let's see what Paul has to say about that, the first S in SUS, suffering. Let me give you a little bit of an idea as to where Paul, the author of Philippians, is is coming from in this passage. Paul, in the past few verses, uh, just got done telling the people of the Philippian church about some suffering that he's going through. He's debating whether he's, he's been debating, he's even talked about how death would be an escape for him right now and how he wants death but because he will be with Christ, but he feels like he's called to share the gospel with others and that he's called to something more. So Paul starting off talking about suffering makes sense because he, like the Philippian people, is, is suffering. People are debating whether Paul is, is on death row or in a prison while he's writing this book. And at the end of Philippians 1, Paul is addressing some of those fears that come along with that and the the fears that the audience is facing at the same time. Philippi has really strong, the church that uh, Paul is talking to, has ties to the Roman Roman people. And uh, they're very strong-willed. They're people who are are very dignified. They're held to a high standard. But when the people in the Philippian church became Christians, they were no longer looked at in the same way. Becoming a Christian was extremely detrimental to their social status. So what Paul is saying in this book of Philippians is that we will suffer as Christians. And here is how we can respond to those struggles with Christ. For here in the United States, becoming a Christian doesn't typically have the same effect uh, on our social status that it does in Philippi. Some of you might argue that. Um, but it is, it is hard. Um, being a Christian can force people to, to hide who they are. Um, maybe being a Christian would completely upend your friend group. Maybe being a Christian would change your lifestyle. You would have to go from doing whatever's most fun and... Um, fun to you to to glorifying God. Um, Maybe your family would be against you becoming a Christian. The bottom line is, is being a Christian can be really difficult, even here in Clemson, South Carolina. 
There will be things that come up every week, every month, every year that will entice you to give up your faith for a supposedly better life. Maybe it's a job that will pay a whole lot better, but you'd be ripping people off uh, for a living. Maybe it's a, a difficult time in your marriage where it seems like it would just be easier to give up your faith than face the consequences for the way that you've mistreated your family. One thing that this made me think of, that's, it's, it's a situation that's going on in professional golf. I don't know how many of y'all are golfers out there, um, but there's this big divide. Everybody who has ever played golf um, has played on the PGA Tour. That's kind of the pinnacle, that's the goal, it's to reach the PGA Tour. Um, but there's been kind of rumblings of this other league um, because people on the PGA Tour weren't happy about how much they were getting paid, how much they were making. Um, and so this... Saudi Arabian-backed league called Live Golf has just started. Um, and Live Golf offers less work. They offer higher payouts. They offer guaranteed money. Um, and the PGA Tour is kind of stuck in this place where people are leaving their league that's based on tradition and values and truth to go play in this league that um, is backed by a government that doesn't support a lot of the, the good things that the PGA Tour supports. And so these golfers are having to, to make this decision of, of PGA Tour versus Live Golf. And I'm not saying that there's a, a right or a wrong decision when it comes to the Live Golf or PGA Tour, um, because I don't know the whole story. But I knew, do know that in our lives, we're going to have to make hard choices. Every day we have to wake up and decide whether we're going to accept the love and the righteousness that Jesus has for us, or are we going to rely on our own goodwill to carry us throughout life. Suffering shows up in, in so many different ways in each of our lives and our stories. And what Paul is telling us here is that as Christians, we're going to struggle in ways that non-Christians won't suffer. We see this in verse 29 where it says this, For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake. Paul is saying that our suffering can be a gift from God. Paul says, believe and suffer for Christ. But in our eyes, believing and suffering are, are such different things. So why does Paul put them together side by side in this, in this verse? Because there are benefits to believing, but there are also benefits to suffering for Christ. But it, they're so hard to see. Some of the things that I've been struggling with lately, and maybe you can relate to these too. Um, how do we see what's going on in Ukraine and what um, Daniel talked about early, as, earlier as, as a gift? And I think a part of us is, is what we're doing is we're supporting them. How do we see a difficult family situation as a gift? How do I see a church not having a pastor for the past two years as a gift? Because we got Brian, come on. Uh, <laughs> no. Uh, but Paul is telling us that we will suffer as Christians because this, this is a sin-filled world. But he's also telling us that if we are united with Christ, then we don't have to fear our opponents or the struggles of this earth. This doesn't mean that it's all sunshine and rainbows. We as Christians should not be trying to sugarcoat bad situations, but we should be weeping 
we should be weeping the death and sin of this world while also holding out hope for what is to come. And when we see our fellow Christians struggling, we remind them of the truth that our world is broken and our hope is in something greater. Hebrews 4.15 says this, For we do not have a great high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. That's why our religion and our God is different. Because he came down and suffered with us and for us. That's why it's important for us during suffering to know what we're fighting for. And that's why Paul includes both believing and suffering in the same sentence. He's saying that Christianity is not only about believing in the good times, but it's about what you do when things get hard. Being assured of who God is in the suffering will allow us to face suffering with an entirely different perspective. Because the incarnation, when God himself up in heaven became man in the flesh, everything changed. We are now able to experience the gospel and be assured of our victory over sin, death, and suffering. Our God became a man and defeated sin so that we can become one with Christ. Which brings me to my next point and a theme that we see throughout this passage, the you in sus, unity. So I got to spend a couple of weeks with my uh, brother-in-law and sister-in-law, Heather and Adam, up in Virginia a few months ago. Um, and one thing that stuck out to me, they're try- they have a one-and-a-half-year-old named Ella, um, and they're trying to teach Ella good habits. So they have certain things where, so like, for example, when Ella's drinking water, they make her sit down so that she doesn't fall over backwards and hurt herself. Or another situation Ella, if you want to eat the the sugary part between two Oreos, you have to eat a little bit of pizza first. So, spoiled kid. Um, Or Ella, if you want your teeth to stop hurting, you have to let me put this medicine in your mouth. The big picture is, Ella, if you want to enjoy life to the fullest and you want to be a healthy little girl, then you have to listen to your parents who know know better than you do. In this passage, chapter 2, verse 1, Paul says, if, and if is the key word here. Um, He says, if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, and then I'm paraphrasing here, then you will live in this way that I've commanded you. Paul is saying, if God is who he says he is, then all of these other things about Christianity must be true. It's like the, the if-then statement when you're uh, in science class in high school. If I put this pot of cold water on the stove and turn it on, then the water will boil. When you're doing a science project, you had to make these statements. If I mix baking soda and vinegar, then there will be a chem- chemical reaction. The point that I'm trying to make is if all of these things are true about God, the sympathy, the comfort, the love, then everything changes. The way that we live our life and interact with others has to change. The way that we care about our friends and our family has to change. Our faith and our trust in Jesus must be like that of a child, our Bible tells us, whose whose parents have built up the credibility with, with, like Ella, whose parents have built up the credibility with her because of the way that they've cared for her. 
God has cared for you in that same way. If you are a Christian, then this, this verse, using the same idea um, as a parent or child, because of who Jesus is and what he has to offer, we should have no choice but to worship him. Christianity is not all about what, it's not all about what we have to offer God, but it's about what God has already offered us. Paul is saying, hey, if you're finding encouragement and love and good news from Jesus, then let's unlock even more of that by becoming of one mind with Christ. Let's, let's look at that in the text. Paul describes unity um, in that second chapter. He says, being united with Christ, being one in spirit and purpose. In, in chapter one, he says, stand firm in one spirit. Strive side by side for the faith of the gospel. What I get out of these statements is, is that Jesus doesn't want us to read the gospel story and think, Man, what a good guy. I'm so glad he did that for those people. Now, what Jesus wants us to hear is, I can't live another day without knowing more about who this Jesus guy is. And I want to spend every second of my life striving side by side with him to bring that same light to others. I was in a class this past week um, called Leadership and Discipleship. I'm still in seminary, still in school, 27. Yeah, I'm really doing well for myself. Um, but uh, he was talking about unity with Christ and how difficult of a concept it is to explain. Um, he talked about John 15 and the vine and the branches and how Christ is the vine and we are the branches that sprout off from him. But he said this quote that stuck out to me um, by Rankin Wilburn. He said, Union with Christ is not an idea to be understood, but a new reality to be lived through faith. So union with Christ is not something that our minds can comprehend, but it's something that we have to live through faith in Christ. The freedom that we have in Christ is a freedom to abide with him. And that's why suffering can be a privilege for us in Christ. No other religion, no other lifestyle, no other worldview can offer what Christ has to offer us himself. Our God subjected himself to people who mocked and tortured and killed him on a cross. And he did so willingly for our sake. He did this so we can come alongside of our friends, our family members, our colleagues at work to be able to say, I believe in Jesus because he did this in my life. I believe that Jesus is my Savior for all of these reasons. And you have to share, you need to share, we're called to share that with our, with our friends and our brothers and sisters. And when we have these conversations, we do it with sympathy and humility, being willing to listen and learn to why someone else believes what they believe. Be willing to embrace our weakness and rely on Christ alone for our strength. Which brings me to my last point, the last S in Sus, sympathy. This word sympathy means a whole lot more than what we think of when, when I initially heard the word. For many of you, sympathy might just be simply feeling sorry for somebody. When someone has a death in the family or you lose the big game, we show sympathy to our friends by saying, it's going to be okay. I love you and it's going to be okay. And that's not a bad thing. But sympathy here in chapter 2 means so much more than what we initially think when we hear the word. 
Commentary authors much smarter than me who know Greek, know the original language, translate the word sympathy as showing mercy or compassion. And when we look at chapter 2, verse 3, it says, Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Paul is commanding us to do what Jesus did for us. Show humility, show compassion with the people that we're surrounded by. But he's not asking us to do anything that he didn't do himself. The problem with our culture when it comes to the way we see certain words is that we take the easy way out. I say things to myself like, and I'm sympathetic. I feel bad for people all the time. Or, I am humble. I did the dishes last night and I didn't even ask for a thank you. We pigeonhole these really important words and these ideas that actually mean so much more. And if you want a true definition of of what humility is, don't go to the, the dictionary. Go to the Bible. Humility is the story of Jesus. Our God humbles himself and become, became a man born of Mary and lived the perfect life despite the devil tempting him, the Pharisees challenging him, being tortured and killed. The verse from Hebrews that I read earlier gives us just a glimpse into that challenge that he faced. But after all of this, he dies the death that we should have died on the cross because he knew that he was our only hope for salvation. Our showing humility to others can't be as drastic as the cross, and I'm not asking you to do that because we can't. We are not God. But maybe it's forgiving a friend who hurt you years ago and you haven't talked to since. Maybe it's saying sorry to your kids for losing your temper when they weren't ready for church this morning. Or kids, maybe it's saying sorry to your parents for not being ready for church. Families out there, you know who you are. Um... Paul is telling us to serve in a way that's countercultural because he's telling us to put others ahead of ourselves. For me, there hadn't been a more humbling experience than, than getting married. Having somebody live with you every day in your sin and being willing to call you out is crazy hard. But it's, but it's so sweet. I've continued to recognize my shortcomings and it forces me to rely on Jesus more than I ever have. For some of you, you might have been humbled when you became a father or a mother for the first time. Or maybe it's the first time you got a B in school, or the first time you lost in cornhole all year. Thanks, thanks, George. Um, (laughs) The problem that we have as Christians is that we don't like to be humbled and we get defensive, completely negating the point that Jesus is talking, or Paul's talking about in this passage. We don't want people to call us out, so we avoid situations where that's going to happen. We don't push ourselves out of our comfort zone because we don't want to be let down, which leads to pride. A great theologian and man of God named John Stott, he's written all kinds of books, says pride is your greatest enemy and humility is your greatest friend. Humility looks like Actually listening to your mom or dad or friend or husband or wife or child when they tell you something hard or that you did something wrong, and you'll be amazed at what that does for you. When someone you care about or trust tells you the truth that you were a bad friend or a a bad husband, 
you need to take that seriously. I need to take that seriously. I'm so guilty when I get called out of saying, no, you're the one that was a bad friend, or you're the one that needs to change, or you're being dramatic. I'm, I'm okay. You're the one being dramatic. But those kind of responses, and I'm so guilty of this, are, are the exact opposite of what this passage is telling us to do. If you're considering somebody better than yourself, you're not going to tell them that. And don't treat people this way. Don't just treat people well because it's going to improve your marriage or friendships, which it probably will do. Uh, But treat people as better than yourself because it was done for you first by Jesus. In this passage, loving others is a two-step process. First, we have to experience Christ in our daily lives. And we see that at the, in, in chapter 2, verse 1. It says, because if you're not experiencing God in your relationships, or you're not experiencing God on a daily basis, then how are you going to show others that same love? How are you going to allow others to experience God's grace if you're not experiencing it yourself? And then the second, way, the second part of this process is that we, when we are finally experiencing the grace of God, then we must act on it. We must bring joy to the people around us by humbling ourselves and treating others better than ourselves. I want you to think about how your, how your relationships with your kids, your parents, your friends would change if you did look at somebody as the, everybody else is more significant than yourself. Or if you were always looking out for the interest of others, your relationships would look so genuine. How different would they, would they look? But you must take the necessary steps in your own life first, in your own heart, and your own soul, in order to love others and your neighbors well. Those two things have to be connected. So let's do a little recap as we finish up here today. Um, for one, I hope many of you learned a new word, uh, sus. Maybe you gained some street cred with your, your, grandparent, your grandchildren or, or son or daughter. But I want that acronym to be more than just a new word. For those of you who are suspicious and still don't know what this, this Bible, the Holy Bible thing is, this is a safe place for you to explore your faith. This is a safe place for you to ask questions about why this book is so important to so many of us in this room. If you have questions or want to talk to somebody, please talk with who, who brought you or a member of this church or me or a leader in the church, a pastor, a deacon, or an elder, and, and they'd love to share the way that the gospel has changed their life. And if you do believe that the Bible is, is comforting and true and purposeful, all of the things listed here in Philippians, then heed the words of this passage and pass that love, affection, sympathy, and humility on to those around you. The gospel changes things, and it should shape our lives in every respect. We should begin to experience in our daily lives the answer to the question, what is so sweet about the gospel? What is so true about this Bible? Understanding what it means to suffer for his sake while looking forward to our salvation and our ultimate reunion with Christ that is to come. That anyone who is in Christ 
will certainly one day experience, that union with Christ that will be perfect. So let me pray for us and, and pray um, for that union. Dear Lord, we thank you for this day. We thank you for your word. We thank you for um, the fact that you humbled yourself and you became man and died for us. Lord, we can't do this alone and we're so grateful um, that you have given us the opportunity to know you better and to, to know you as a, as a father, as a friend, and as a redeemer. Lord, I just pray that each of us in here today um, hear that and o- that open invitation that you've given each of us. Lord, I pray all of this in your name. Amen.